Some stones saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. And if you have family or friends who can't watch Heart of the Matter on television, they can go to www.hotm.tv and watch uh, the program uh, live streaming video from literally anywhere in the world where there's an internet connection. I was a born-again Mormon. Manuscript is available uh, through PDF download. It's at www.bornagainmormon.com. You get it for free. Just click on a button that starts downloading. Put it on one of your electronic books or whatever you want. How about joining a weekly verse-by-verse, never-denominational Bible study? Join us at campus uh, every Sunday at either Utah State, and that's going to change in all probability to Weber State in Ogden, or at the U of U in Salt Lake City. You can go to calvarycampus.com for more information about that. Uh, every single Sunday afternoon from 1 to 2 p.m. on KUTR AM 820, The Truth, you can hear this week's uh, Heart of the Matter rebroadcast. So instead of sitting through another boring sacrament meeting or elders quorum attempt at doing as little as possible, why don't you escape out to your car, turn on the air conditioner, and tune in to AM820, The Truth, KUTR. That's Sundays from 1 to 2 p.m. One of the most difficult things many people face when examining their membership in the LDS Church is the way they have to sort of, they just sort of totally accept everything about the church and what Mormonism has taught them. Being LDS is not like being a non-denominational Christian, my friends, because Mormonism tends to invade nearly every part of your mind and your heart and your worldview. It's really difficult for someone on the outside, especially somebody who really knows the Bible, uh, to meet a fully grown, functioning adult who, for argument's sake, will just call, name him Bob, uh, and, and to see that smile pasted to his face and the house full of kids and who is completely devoted to men in business suits who call themselves prophets and apostles. And I mean, just where does Bob's tremendous allegiance and devotion come from? Well, uh, it comes from a constant barrage of teachings that LDS people receive um, ever since they were young. Now, converts are a different story, but for people who are born in the church like Bob, it's very difficult. Uh, 
what was Bob learning in nursery as a three and four year old at the LDS church? About Jesus? Well, there could have been some stories about Jesus. They will do that. What else? Uh, about Heavenly Father? Yes, there are pictures of Heavenly Father in his long gray beard and long white robes that are around at times. And then what else? Joseph Smith? Yes, Joseph Smith. Lots about Joseph Smith from cradle to the grave. And prophets? Yes, lots of songs about uh, Joseph Smith the prophet and other prophets too. Songs that powerfully demand a person to follow the prophet, follow the prophet, follow the prophet, don't go astray, yay. And so anytime uh, Bob, or by the time Bob is 10 or 11 years of age, he has this kind of empty gleam in his eye that he knows that the church is true. And it's all in a response to this constant, relentless invasion of orchestrated information sent to his brain since he was um, a kid. Now, Jesus is used very, very carefully. Heavenly Father is more prevalent, but still far less than the images of men. Living prophets are hailed and discussed and read about and honored. And by the time Bob serves a mission, he knows more about the life of Joseph Smith than he does about the life of Jesus. Before he knows it, Bob is mindlessly devoted, uh, though he really sincerely believe he, he believes that he has been given a choice in the matter. That's part of how it's done. He really believes he chose, but in actuality, he has not chosen anything. And this false idea serves as an automatic reassurance to Bob on those rare occasion when, occasions when he actually stops and thinks and starts to maybe doubt. Let me give you a current example of how early and insidious, absolutely insidious, this grooming is and how it takes place. In the March 28th edition of the Daily Herald here in Salt Lake City, a segment called Games was printed. And it's for, they call it the LDS Week. Now, it's a full two-page layout, and I'll hold it up here to you, and let me kind of explain what it says. First, they do a word search, and notice that they have big, big pictures here of all the LDS uh, uh, who they, men who call themselves apostles. And then they have a word search game, and you can then look up names of LDS leaders, Smith, Taylor, Woodruff, Snow, Grant, and you circle them, and that's part of the game. And then they have actually another game here, and it's words to find, and they do include Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, biblical apostles, but it's right next to the LDS apostles. So you see, you're making this exchange between seeing the LDS apostles, reading biblical apostles, and you start to think, wow, they must be one and the same. Now, this big word puzzle here, it's words to find, and these are all... LDS people of note, uh, Talmadge, Maxwell, Moyle, Ashton, Romney, Brown, all right? All through that, that's all men, okay? And then this thing about the pictures, what this does is you look up a name of a person, a man, and you see if you can match it to the picture. Hey, kids, here, have the paper. That's really good for you to do. It will help you learn men in the church. Then you turn it over and you get the color President Monson page. And this is like a life-size picture of, I mean, drawing of Monson's head. And the kids get to get their crayons out and they get to color President Monson. How fun. And then what they get to do down below, it's called the candy grab listening game. And what they do is the kids take this and the parents give it to them during general conference. And they say, here now, Junior, 
take this paper and sit and listen to conference. And every time you hear these important words, put a you get to put a piece of candy on this space. And then in the end of the game, you get to have it all. Well, guess what? In the first candy grab game, scriptures, testimony, restoration, happiness, give, Book of Mormon, repent, children, apostle, baptize, gospel, plan, save, forgive, life, missionary, calling. No Jesus. No Heavenly Father. No Bible. I mean, Joseph Smith, the Doctrine and Covenants are on this thing. Mothers, pioneer, heaven, no Jesus, no Bible, nothing. And then there's an article inside this, and it shows going beyond quiet time, and it shows coloring books that have all the general authorities drawings and the children are given these coloring books so they can color what these men look like and and this inculcation begins at a very young age and then by the time Bob is 40 and he's turned to utlm.org and he's read the facts and he has a nervous breakdown and he has a gun in his mouth and he's ready to pull the trigger because he's been deceived his whole life these cartoons aren't so funny and these games are so duplicitous so with that let's have a prayer Lord, we love you and we need you. I need you today. I just threw my notes on the ground, first of all, Lord, so I got to get those. I need your help to be able to keep this together and present some difficult material on a subject that is difficult. We pray for our audience, people who are here, people who are watching, that your tender care and your peace and love will be with them and they will understand what is being said. We love you, Lord, and we seek for your guidance in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, you just say it in this place, and it happens. <laughs> tough topic tonight, my friends. Rough and tough. And uh, to hear it rightly and to, deliver, to, and to deliver it properly, it's tough. And as with any tough topic, some people are going to get really incensed with some of the things I'm going to say, and others are going to find great relief. So what are we comparing and contrasting between Mormonism and biblical Christianity tonight? Divorce. What makes this topic so difficult is that I am obligated by virtue of the big manual that sits in front of me uh, to contextual, contextually represent the truth of divorce to you, even if it hurts. Like the subject of homosexuality, the biblical truth regarding divorce is pretty plain. But as in the case of homosexuality, the great hope and solution for the matter is plain as well, but it's just not what most people think it is. Perhaps the best single summary about divorce can be found in the Gospel of Mark, and it was spoken of by Jesus himself in Mark chapter 10. The Pharisees came up to Jesus and they tried to trap him and they said, quote, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? Now, there was a great debate among the Jews dating way back about what they call this putting away of a wife. One opinion came from the school of Hillel and that said that a man might, could divorce his wife for any offense uh, or any dislike that he may have. She burns the toast, divorce. She gives him the mean old sea hag look, divorce, okay? Any woman who was subject to that was left dangling in society. She did not have any rights, and she was really treated poorly under that system. The other major opinion came from the school of Shammai, 
and it maintained that divorce was unlawful except in the case of adultery. But again, even this option was pretty much up to the man and his accusations, and so uh, women got the brunt end of the deal again, and as usual. So being asked his thoughts, the Pharisees hoped to trap Jesus and get him to commit either on the side of the Hallel or get him to commit on the side of the Shammai, and then it would sort of bifurcate his ministry and get at least half the Jews ticked off at him. Well, Jesus being the master teacher, he replies in verse 3, he said unto them, what did Moses command you? Instead of immediately answering and implicating himself, he refers them back to a source that they respect and that he respects too, Moses. And they said in verse 4, Moses suffered, write to write a bill, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. Was this true? Yes, this was true. You see, here was the situation. Moses was leading millions and millions of people out of Egypt into the wilderness, traveling around uh, for the promised land. And it was an enormous endeavor. And amidst this mass exodus and all that it entailed, Moses has people coming up and they are facing one of the most emotionally, uh, emotional situations human beings can face, divorce. So instead of letting some very misogynistic men just walk away from their wives and leave them really without anything from that point forward, um, Moses, because of the hardness of their hearts, he had the husbands write a bill of divorce, which allowed the women to prove that they have been divorced from their husband and this, in turn, would allow them to carry on into a relationship with another man. In verse 5, Jesus said, For the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. That word cleave is literally be glued to his wife. And they twain shall be one flesh, so then they are no more two, but one flesh. In the Matthew account, Jesus says to the Pharisees, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, gave a bill of divorce, but from the beginning it was not so. So what does Jesus mean from the beginning? In order to contextually understand divorce and what Jesus said about it, we have to go back to the beginning that he was speaking about, Adam and Eve. Now ask yourself, where did Adam come from? Dust of the earth, right? Then where did Eve come from? From Adam's own body. Eve was taken from Adam. So they were wholly one and the same, okay? And who made them one? God did. God is the one who took Eve from Adam's body and created her. And so those two became, became were one the two were one from one source for life, as long as they were to live. Now listen closely. Was there anything on earth that could take Adam and Eve and tear them apart and make them not one of the same flesh? Anything. No. Nothing could have made Eve from another source. Nothing could have said, well, Eve now is not from Adam. Eve now is from the dust, or Eve now is an alien, or Eve now... Eve came from Adam, so they were one, and nothing could separate that, all right? 
If Adam and Eve got divorced, would divorce change the fact that Eve was uh, taken from Adam's side and they were literally one flesh? Not in the least. So from the beginning, Eve came from Adam and they were one and nothing could separate them. This is how Jesus was able to say, Moses may have granted you all a bill of divorce, but it was not from the beginning so. Meaning from the beginning, God made the unity of a couple absolutely permanent and impossible to separate. And this is the model for the marital union. In this model, we find an extremely limited expression of sexual intimacy. It can occur, uh, uh, it can only occur uh, between those who consummate their marital vows to each other. The exclusiveness of Adam and Eve to each other is a type for the total exclusiveness a man and woman are to have with each other in a marriage. God takes marital fidelity very seriously and grants immense marital blessings to those who maintain the Adam and Eve model of whole and complete unity. It does not matter what men or women think on the subject today when it comes to what God says. His ideal of marriage is pictured in the beginning with the sacred creation of Adam and Eve as one source. This is why Jesus adds in verse 9, What therefore God has joined together, let not a man put it asunder. You got all that? Well, the disciples, having heard Jesus explain this to the Pharisees, they said, we got to talk to him about this. And, it, and so Mark 10 says, they go into a house and the disciples say, tell us about this. Uh, and they asked him in the same manner. Now what Jesus tells them fits perfectly with the way God set up male and female marital relationships from the beginning. How? Listen, Jesus said to his disciples, listen to this. Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. What did Jesus mean? Exactly what he said. If God has put a couple together and they divorce each other and join with, uh, with another in marriage, Jesus says they are adulterers. Why? Because God takes the first marital union and the commitment that was made through the consummation of that union seriously, just as he sees Adam and Eve from the beginning. If Adam and Eve got a bill of divorce from Moses, they would, and, then, and then they each married other people outside the Garden of Eden, they would still be two people from one source, right? Therefore, Adam, even with a bill of divorce, would be committing adultery against Eve, and Eve would be committing adultery against Adam because they were of one. When a man and woman come together in marriage and consummate it, they are one in God's eyes like Adam and Eve. Man can attempt to se separate the couple. We can call it divorce, but to God, the first couple is the one just as Adam and Eve were the one from the beginning. And what God has put together, let no man put asunder. Now, some will say, well, God didn't put my marriage together. Um, again, even if the couple didn't believe in God, they were under the same and are under the same auspices and expectations when it comes to marriage. How do we know this? John the Baptist went to Herod Philip I and said, you are unlawfully married. And, and, and Herod Philip I was not a believer in anything. And for that, he lost his head. But it shows that the laws of God didn't prohibit John the Baptist from telling someone who had broken it that his marriage was illegal. Okay, 
So those are the hard biblical facts about marriage and divorce. If you are married and consummate that marriage, you have become one under God's eyes and are not permitted to be divorced without continuing on as an adulterer. I know it's hard to hear, but nobody is in position to change the facts, just like with homosexuality. When people come up to me, and people have come up to me and said, Sean, you know, I got married and I got divorced because we didn't get along, and so then I uh, divorced him and then I got remarried. Does it, what does this mean in God's eyes? And I say in all frankness and with love, you're an adulterer. You're an adulterer as long as you're in that situation. And of course, I lose another friend or supporter, and... Uh, and uh, unless I can convince them to hang around and hear the rest of the story, which I'm hoping you will do too. So how do the LDS differ in their perspective of divorce? In two primary ways. Uh, first, if a spouse becomes an enemy to the church, or if a spouse becomes aggressive or abusive, and that is, there's a broad spectrum on what abuse is to the LDS, uh, bishops seem to have no problem uh, suggesting in certain ways, divorce them. I know that from first-hand experience, by the way. Second, in Mormonism, where divorce is becoming more and more a uh, reality, the brethren today would never tell a faithful member who remarries somebody else after divorce that they are adulterers. Um, it's just too harsh within the LDS church. It doesn't bring the spirit, they will say, and so they ignore and alter the facts that Jesus gives in the Bible. And they haven't always done this, but they do it today. But... Um, as long as somebody in the Mormon church is supportive of the church, is not antagonistic towards it, and goes through a divorce and remarries somebody else, the church would never assign what Jesus says they are in the category of being an adulterer. They just say, we love you, let's move on. And that's very appealing to people. They like that liberty. But uh, I have to be fair, in our day and age, the Christian church is pretty much the same. Uh, very few people would say to somebody who was unlawfully divorced and then remarried that they're an adulterer. Now, let me turn to the hopeful facts regarding divorce. Because with the true and living God, there is always hope in the face of this fallen world. First of all, while Jesus said to the Pharisees that divorce was not so from the beginning, neither was sin from the beginning, and neither was lust or anger or selfishness or any of the things that make marriage very difficult from the beginning. Okay? So while we must be faithful to describe exactly how God sees it, because that's what Jesus said, we must also note that we live in a fallen, messy world where Jesus came and did for us, which we cannot do for ourselves. Now, there are some very rigid types of people out there who maintain that you must stay married at all costs. Your husband is beating you to a pulp. You stay married at all costs. Uh, your husband is uh, addicted to pornography. You stay married because it doesn't fit what Jesus said. We're going to learn that's not true in a second. They seem to relish castigating people who have gone through or who are going through or are come contemplating divorce by saying God hates divorce. They, they quote Malachi chapter 2. They, they re, but they neglect to, to uh, pick on people for proud looks. And the Bible says God hates a proud look. And they don't pick on people for a lying tongue. Or they don't pick on people whose hearts devise wicked imaginations. All those things the Bible says God hates. They just pick this one thing and they pick on people with that because they have stayed married for so long. And so therefore you are off in that area. The point is God hates the conditions of this fallen world. These were never his intentions from the beginning. 
And that is why he sent his son to come and save us from ourselves. What is really interesting to me is that when Jesus addresses divorce, he seemed to level the playing field and finally brought justice to a people group who have been forever mistreated, women. I'm going to show you how he did that. Jesus gave one reason and one reason alone how a person can divorce their spouse and remarry another and not be considered an adulterer. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 through 32, when Jesus is teaching the disciples of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, It has been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her, that is divorced, committeth adultery. So Jesus here reiterates the fact that anyone who remarries unlawfully is an adulterer. But he gives an exception for a marriage to be lawfully destroyed without it ending in the offending spouse being an adulterer if they remarry. And he says, except for the cause of fornication. Now what is really, really important is this, my friends, listen. A married man and or a married woman cannot commit fornication. A married man and a married woman, by definition of the Greek, can only be adulterers. They cannot fornicate. Fornication is a different word. So Jesus uses two very different Greek words in explaining the justification for divorce. The word adultery is mokaho, all right? And he says, so why didn't Jesus say, that whatsoever, whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of mokaho, causes her to commit adultery. Why did he say save for the cause of fornication? He used a completely different word. Do you know what that word is in the Greek for fornication? Pornia. It's pornia. We know, we get that, we know where we get pornography from. It's from that word. But the, it means a whole lot more. And... So what Jesus says here is the only justifiable grounds, not only for divorce, but for the offended spouse to move on and remarry with God's full approbation is when his or her spouse is involved in, listen to this, any and all sexual immorality or deviancy committed outside the purview of their marriage. It doesn't mean you should or have to divorce. It, if you can keep together, fine. But it is grounds for a lawful divorce in God's eyes. So we have some facts to consider before we go to the phones. One, God demands total sexual fidelity in marriage. Two, if there is not, it is grounds for divorce. And this sexual infidelity is called pornea, meaning any sexual deviation. Now, looking at marriages today, who do you suppose between the husband and wife is in the driver's seat when it comes to one of them being sexually deviant within their marriage? The wife. And Jesus brought it back into their control to decide if they're going to put away their husband or not. And it really brings home the point of the importance of marriages being based on complete fidelity and that husbands can't go flittering around in areas, even if it doesn't involve adultery, and believe they are justified to have a wife to stay by their side. Jesus made it plain. 
and it didn't have to do with an extramarital affair. It had to do with everything, including extramarital affairs, but anything and everything else. If you think about this and apply it to Adam and Eve, it makes sense. Imagine that Adam, who is literally one with Eve, she is from his flesh, takes on a lover. The sacred unity he had with Eve would be desecrated as he has shared with that lover or with an addiction to pornography or with any other deviancy that could come into a marriage that, she and, that he and Eve once had. This is why and what is behind divorce and how it works. Now finally, let me speak to those people who have divorced for reasons other than pornea in their marriage and are by definition uh, seen as adulterers according to the Bible. If you find the title that you're an adulterer bothering or troubling to you, check your pride at the door and praise God for his grace. Um, just accept it. Don't try to rational or, uh, uh, rationalize your way around it. If you got divorced for a reason other than pornea and you remarried, you're an adulterer according to scripture. But remember, that's how God sees it looking at the Adam and Eve model from the beginning, okay? What's really interesting is just four verses before Jesus in Matthew 5 talks to his disciples about except for the cause of fornication. He says this, You have heard it was said of those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whoever looks upon a woman for lust has already committed adultery in, uh, with her in his heart. Jesus said this to get all people everywhere to examine their heart. And whether we have actually committed adultery uh, on uh, our spouse or uh, are adulterers by virtue of a second or third or fourth marriage uh, unauthorized by God. And then to see our hearts and ourselves for what we are and then come to him and let him, let him save us. There is no reason for some uh, ecumenical, ecclesiastical uh, finger pointing uh, in this case. Because anyone who points a finger at someone who divorces what they feel wrongly needs to point their finger at themselves and look at their own heart because they are certainly not without sin. And that is the, the premise of adultery. When it comes to the Latter-day Saints, they really don't seem to care what Jesus said. They would never, ever assign that title to somebody who has uh, divorced their spouse for a reason other than pornea and went and married somebody else. With that, let's go to the phones, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. First-time callers, please turn your television sets down. We would love LDS, uh, LDS callers. I'm being told right now that an LDS woman says the newspaper I showed was a fraud, that there is no such newspaper. Was I taken? Did anybody see that in the newspaper? Uh-oh. <laughs> maybe I was. Uh, I, I think it's from an, uh, a legitimate newspaper, but maybe I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, I will definitely apologize. But it certainly looked, I had to go to a lot of work to print that up if that was a fraud. Yes, we got an email about it. It, this says it's real. Uh, what paper is it? I don't know. I'll, find, I'll look at it before we go. Someone else will hand it to me. All right, listen. We're going to go to the phones while the operators clear your calls, read some emails, but want to make an announcement, and that is on June 8th, 
Heart of the Matter is going national. Praise God. Uh, we're going to be on the Sky Angel Network, and we're going to be on the NRB Network. It's uh, probably open us up to uh, an aud potential audience of 60 million viewers, and uh, it's going to do some wild things to the ministry. And but we're going to stay here uh, in uh, Salt Lake City, producing the program, uh, taping the program here, and be live in um, parts of Wyoming, all of Utah, and parts of Idaho. But we're going to go out all the way to the East Coast, uh, through the Central U.S., and all the way out to California with it. So uh, we really praise God for that. We, we thank everybody who has come along and helped us with the financing. We're not there yet, but we trust God will continue to touch your heart. If you're so inclined and if you've already given to your church, we believe that's important. But if you're so inclined and led, we can always use the help to continue to move it on. But uh, God has blessed us from the beginning with it. So June 8th, uh, start telling your family and friends out there in different parts of the nation that uh, Heart of the Matter will be available. Uh, and it's going to be late at, uh, at night to begin with because we're not going to pay exorbitant fees to uh, go at prime time or something like that until we have our feet set. But uh, you can TiVo it or watch uh, reruns or tapes or whatever you want of it. So we're really grateful for that. We thank all of you for your prayers and for your support in whatever way it has come. Uh, it, it will be interesting to see what God does with it now, especially in the next two years when the LDS are certainly well, not certainly, but in all probability, you're going to have a Latter-day Saint running for the office, uh, highest office in the land. So we'll see. We have an anonymous caller from Farmington. He's LDS. Let's take him. Anonymous, you're on the air. Yes. You're, you're on the air. I can't hear, Derek. Oh, okay. Um, what do you want me to say? That I'm handsome and nice and... <laughs> Okay, what I'll tell, what I'll do is I'll just tell you what happened. Um, when I got divorced, um, I was in the process of getting divorced, and um, my son had just turned 12 and had had a hard time trying to decide if he was going to take the priesthood or not. Okay. So he decided he was going to become a deacon. And um, they wouldn't let him pass the sacrament because um, the bishop decided there was too much contention going on in the home that, in which he lived. They wouldn't let him have the priesthood? Oh, yeah, they let him have the priesthood, oh. but he could only collect fast offerings. He could not pass the sacrament. And, Be because um, you were going through a divorce? Yes, and the reason I was going through the divorce is because um, my husband of um, 20 years had uh, dumped me for a 23-year-old, and, um, well, he didn't dump me. I dumped him because he gave me venereal disease. Wow. And the bishop said that he felt inspired that I should stay with him, and I said, you can stay yeah. with him because I'm... Unbelievable. Yes. No, it's... It, and then he told me that I needed to move. This was in 1990. He told me I needed to move out of their ward because they were not equipped to handle a divorced woman who had three children and um, told me that um, if I would not 
stay with my husband, then um, I needed to move because um, I was, they were not equipped to handle a divorced woman. And I said, uh, you will be a spiritual net under me or I will go to someone higher up than you are and I will tell them. I said, I have a grandfather who came across the plains with bullets in him from Hans Mill Massacre, and I will be damned if he walked across the plains like that for you to not be a net, a safety net underneath me. And he said, I don't appreciate your language. Oh, gosh. And I stood right there and I said, okay, the Lord judge between thee and me. And I walked right out. Good for you. How are you doing now? I'm doing fine. Did you I, leave you know, the church? Um, I don't, I'm, I'm, like I say, I'm a half-ass Mormon. I, so. I don't appreciate your language. <laughs> well, I don't. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, uh, I guess it's better to be a half-ass Mormon than a whole-ass Mormon, so. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what? I, my heart goes out to you, Anonymous. That is such a terrible story. But, you know, it's, it doesn't surprise me. I've got emails here about people who have gone through divorce and, and, and bishops do the same type of thing. So uh, I pray that you will uh, get the other half of your body out of the church. Go to a good Christian church. Pick up that Bible. It will really do wonders for you. Well, I just told him, I said, I know a big secret, Bishop. And I said, I'm going to tell other women and he looked at me real strange, and he said, oh, what's that? And I said, I, I kind of whispered it, and I said, God loves women and children as much as he does men. <laughs> and, then, and, and he got the funniest look on his face, and I never walked back into that church. Good for you. And I haven't been in very many other church, other LDS churches. In fact, I've been in more Catholic churches than I have LDS ones. Try, try one out if you can, Anonymous. We love you, and thanks for the call. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, Bye-bye. We are going to go to uh, Michael in Colorado, uh, first-time caller. Michael, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. How you doing? Doing well. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you. Hey, uh, I just wanted to uh, thank you for your show, and it's just amazing what God has done for you and what God is doing with you, and... I was just wondering if you had some advice for me. Um, I mean, I'm from a small town, and there is a, a lot of LDS people around, and I am a lot. I am friends with a lot of them, and I was just wondering if you had any advice. It seems as if when I bring something up that doesn't follow exactly to what they believe, um, and it'll be directly out of the Bible, it seems as if they instantly make me not their friend or put me on an enemy list. Yeah. Yeah, it's highly conditional. Well, you know, it's kind, they're kind of, you kind of put them on a, a, a broad spectrum. At one end, you might have friends who are, who are seeking, who are LDS, and they, they might secretly tell you they don't believe. Send them to utlm.org. Others are kind of wondering, share Jesus, talk about what he's done for you. Others who are more, uh, you know, strong in the faith, uh, you know, you might just gent gently question. You know, it's, it's really such a case-by-case -case basis. I don't have right. like a, uh, an answer. It's one of the most often asked questions, so it's a really normal one, Michael. But, 
it's really hard unless you're in the situation to know what to do. But I, generally speaking, like to talk about sin, and I like to talk about the Lord. Those two things, awesome. and I let those seeds go where the Lord's going to take them. Yeah, I mean, like, I just had this instance recently, like, there's this family that I've that is LDS, and I've been friends with their kids, you know, and gone to high school with them, and we've been great friends and stuff. And I brought one thing up, you know, the other day that wasn't perfectly to their belief system, and it's like they don't want to talk to me anymore, and they've, like, put me on this, like, enemies, enemies list, you know. Keep planting those seeds, Michael. Appreciate you watching. Awesome. Thanks, Sean. Thank Love you. Bye-bye. Another Michael wants to know why the God of the Old Testament, why the Old Testament betrays God as a strict God and as the New Testament betrays him as loving. Uh, God does not change. He's the same. And uh, so he is still a fiery wrath of the Old Testament. I mean, no human being really deserved his mercy. That's one thing that the humanists don't get. They say, well, why would God ever ever kill anybody. We're so good. Not so. I mean, he is a holy God, but he does love. In fact, he loves so much that he sent his son. So the fiery wrath God was a God who worked off uh, righteousness and obedience and blessings or unrighteousness and cursings. That's how it all worked. And so if you messed up, he was a fiery wrath and he wiped you out. Well, Jesus came and he appeased that justice that, that that holy God would mete out upon his creations, his rebellious creations who would make molten images and sacrifice children to them and all kinds of things. So he was appeased by the wrath that was poured out upon his son and that's why he is now in a dispensation of love. But I gotta tell you something, if you read the, if you read the Bible, he's gonna come back and he's ticked. He's gonna come back, it's not gonna be pretty. I mean, Jesus is going to be in red, not that white picture that the Mormons have him coming down from the clouds. No, he's going to be in all red and it's going to be a bloody battle. And he's not going to give in. And then he's going to rule over the millennium with an iron fist. Did you know that? It's not the peace, love and understanding Jesus with flowers in his hair anymore then. But people don't understand that. So they just kind of categorize to make it simple on themselves. God has not changed. Jesus reconciles sinful men and women to that wrath and then he becomes our Papa, our Father, because he is totally appeased with us as his children and we are fully embraced to him because all of our sins have been wiped away. The best example or I can give you really quickly, we're going to go to Steve in Salt Lake, first time calling in a second. Uh, this is from Georgia, came across your website. Uh, I've been a member of the LH Church for over 25 years. During that time, I was married and became the father of four wonderful children. I also worked and went to school. I have been active and faithful member of the church since I was baptized, having served in many priesthood leadership columns, including Ellis Quorum President, Bishop's Counselor, Stake High Councilman, and Bishop. My world fell apart in 2005 when my wife of over 20 years divorced me and began to live a very carnal life, which resulted in her excommunication prior to our divorce being finalized. I then found myself totally alone and abandoned by my ward and stake family. I became a leper in the church. I could not understand why I was being rejected by those who had once claimed that they loved me. False and hurtful lies were being told about me. My faith took a beating. I am still struggling. I am still active in the church. I hold a temple recommend. But one thing has changed for me in the past few years in that I now see a distinct difference between believing in the church and believing in Jesus Christ. 
I have come to a stark realization that for far too long, I, all I had was faith in a church, even though I professed faith in Christ. That is what we hope for everybody will come to realize. That church is not going to do anything for you. In fact, maybe hinder you from getting to the true and living God. So great thing. And that is exactly what happens. You conform or you're cast out. That's the sign of a very bad church. And you know, while I'm on that soapbox, really quickly before we go to the phone, I have to say this. It makes no sense in the world for Christians to go around to tell people, Jesus loves you as you are. Come to him. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you just as you are. You're so great. Even as a heroin addicted prostitute, he loves you as you are. And then they come to Jesus and they understand him. And then the same people ostracize those people because they're not perfect. It doesn't make any sense. Why would you want to join a group only to be kicked out by them later? You know, you want, the love that Jesus had for the person when they were a prostitute heroin addict is the same love he has for them when they're just trying to get their life fixed up. doesn't make any sense. Let's wake up to this junk, man, and let's put the Lord and his command for us to have faith and to have love for people. That's the command. All right, let's go to Steve in Salt Lake City, first-time caller. Steve, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Hi. I appreciate you taking my call. You're welcome. Uh, I was born and raised in the, in the LDS Church, served a mission, served as a bishop. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I started translating some tracts because I speak four languages and for the Mormon Church, and I found some stuff that didn't set right with me. Uh, I eventually just renounced the Mormon Church, and uh, I, for 16 years now I've been a born-again Christian. Okay. Wow. And, in the church that I go to, and in fact, I've pastored for eight years a little non-denominational church here in Salt Lake. Uh-huh. Um, my question is, is that the church I'm attending now um, claim that because I was divorced before, even as a pagan, and I tried to explain it to the pastor that having been born again, I'm a new creature and a new creation in Christ. Yeah. So it's like starting over. But they said, no, you can't be an elder, you can't serve in the church, you can't do these things because you were divorced. I don't see where that is scriptural from the Bible. Well, there's certain people who would, would agree with your uh, pastor, and they take that, that, that stuff uh, not in, in, in a real good context, and I would totally disagree with them, and I would go somewhere else. I, w- I would say, listen, I'm going to find a place where, you know, a, a church that recognizes that we all have problems, and, uh, you know, or, or you stay there and make sure you don't get bitter over it. Be glad no, you're not, not an I'm elder. Not, I'm not bitter over it. I just view it as the fact that I'm a new creature in Christ. Absolutely. The old Steve is dead. I just happen to be the executor of his estate. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> and, and so uh, I'm a new creature. My, my wife is a, a Christian, a good Christian lady. We've been married now for almost 20 years. Wow. And, and the happiest I've ever been in my whole life. Wow. So... You know, there are so many passages that offset this legalism that goes along. You know, there's liberty in Christ. All things are lawful. I mean, and you are talking about even a situation where you, were, you weren't even born again at the time. I mean, it's just not, no, it's just, just not sound. You keep going to the Lord, my friend. I know you will, but uh, I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you so much. All right, God bless you. You bet. Bye-bye. We're going to Jose in Bountiful, uh, not on four. Where's Jose? Ask him where Jose is. What line? No, he's not on four. There's no one on four. This is why we're going national, because we have everything down to a science. Uh, Jose, you're on Heart of the Matter. How are you doing? 
I'm doing well. How are you? Good, I'm good. Um, first of all, God bless you. And uh, I just wanted to comment about uh, the book of Macaroni, um, about how uh, Joseph said um, you know, he claimed to be a prophet of the Lord. And then he said something about um, that there were uh, some people living in the moon. Yeah. And, and the Pentateuch says something about that if a true prophet of God, you know, when the prophet stands, uh, you know, stands in the congregation and he prophesies uh, in the name of the Lord, if the prophecy is, um, the time is to come and, you know, uh, it, well, the time comes and that prophecy doesn't actually happen. Yeah. And that, that proves that that prophet is not really a prophet of the Lord, but someone is just mumbling or maybe listening to some kind of demon, some other spirit that doesn't come from the Lord. Yeah, exactly. That's the that's the test for uh, for a true or a false prophet in Deuteronomy. And then the the uh, punishment was what? Death. Exactly. Yeah. And so, so I also wanted to comment on um, uh, since you were a Mormon, um, did you? I, I have some friends that are Mormons, and they're coming. They have something to comment about that they feel a fire in their heart. Is that? Did you ever feel that stuff when you were part of the um, that? occult religion yeah the burning in the bosom they 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 use that as an uh, as a uh, indicator that they have heard or are feeling the presence of the spirit or that they know something is true and uh that is the the fire and the, the burning within us is biblical it's they talk about that in the book of acts um but it is it is just uh totally misused and, uh, and you can feel great swelling emotions in the LDS church. They, they, they do a lot of things that are very emotional and, and very beautiful, actually. So, right. so my question, I'm sorry to interrupt. It's okay. But do you, th do you think that that fire that I feel, that they, you know, do you think it comes from a Lord or do you think it comes from a demon, which is why my belief is some kind of demon of confusion, that makes people believe that the Book of Mormon it comes from God, it's, you know, just to, to deceive him, because remember that the, the devil is the father of lie, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you so know, you uh, demon or God, the either or, I'm not sure I have to embrace it that way. It could be the same place that patriotism comes from, or the way you feel like on your child's first birthday when they're messing up the cake, you know, or they enter kindergarten for the first time. It's emotions. And so, demon of the Lord, maybe uh, both. I mean, I, I know God leads Latter-day Saints. I know he loves them as much as he loves me. Oh, and, I mean, I believe that. I mean, he, yeah. I mean uh, the Bible says, you know, and then chapter 16, he loved the world. I mean, sure. we are the world. Yeah. But right? in terms of the fire feeling, you know, again, I, I don't know. I, I, it could be any of those things. But I tend to think it's mostly emotion uh, that is pent up, and it's the release of that emotion that they feel with good oboe music, soft lace, and uh, wax flowers. Right, because, I, I mean, in, in my um, understanding is that, um, that you probably won't feel that, I mean, something that comes from the God, especially until you're born again, um, that's when you're clean, because the, the Spirit of God is, is holy, that's why it's holy, because it's a, apart from sin, and I believe that the, the Holy Spirit cannot come and dwell in, in, in someone when it's not clean. No, but He certainly can work upon them. Right, I understand that yeah. point, but I mean to dwell inside in yeah. you. I don't, um, I don't know. I'm it's hard to tell. Don't... Hey, Jose, thanks so much for the call. Hey, thank you. God bless you. Okay, bye bye. God bless you. Randy from Park City wants to know how turning the other cheek and forgiving enemies is told in the same Bible as well as eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Um, 
Again, it goes back to the call that we had about God being angry and God being loving. You know, in the old covenant, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's how it worked. You do a good thing, you get a good thing. You do a bad thing, you get a bad thing. That's how God worked. And that was called, in essence, it was the law. And nobody could fulfill it. Nobody could live it. Nobody could handle it. So he sent his only son. And when Jesus took all the wrath for the errors that we make, it became to turn the other cheek. It, it, the, his whole gospel was enhanced. And it became love now because of what he did for us. A caller wants to know if you do baptisms and weddings. <laughs> I've done a couple of weddings and I think every single person has been divorced that I did. I'm just kidding. Um, uh, no, I've done a few weddings and baptisms we do once or twice a year. We're working on when we're going to do this year's uh, open water baptisms. Those are really fun. And we've baptized several, you know, 100 and plus people in the state since uh, the past four years. So uh, if you're interested in that, we'll let you know. Salvatore in Salt Lake City. Salvatore, you're on the air. Hi. Hey, man, you got to turn your TV set down. Yeah, I just did. I turned it down. Hey, um, I've been reading the Old Testament, and um, you made some reference. About, I'm not a Mormon, by the way. But uh, you made some reference to this. The Mormons don't mention Jesus very much. I didn't read about Jesus in the Old Testament. Yeah. Uh, one his, did, uh, someone said, yeah, he, he's mentioned there, but I, I, I must have missed it. Where is it? Yeah. Well, let's just start with the real simple, and we'll work to the more complex. First of all, his name isn't Jesus. That's the Anglicanized name of Jesus. I can just barely hear you. That's the Anglicanized name of Jesus, which is a Greek uh -huh. name for uh, Yeshua, which we pronounce as Joshua. And his proper noun name is not in the Old Testament. That's true. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's However, I the whole thing literally points to his existence. And if you and I sat down, we could open up probably any five pages hey, in the I Old Testament. I just saw my name on the screen now. What's that? I just saw my name come up on the screen. Salvatore. So you know, I don't think anyone even listens to what I say. They do. Yeah, they, I'm listening to you. Hey, I don't think way, you, anyone cares at all. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I understand that. But, you know, you look very Jewish today. When I first saw you, I thought you were wearing a yarmulke. I feel I very Jewish today. No, no, I, and, then I, and then I noticed you were wearing a baseball cap turned backwards. Yeah, I, I, this is... But that this, looks, you look very Jewish today, but that's a compliment, by the way. That, that is a good compliment, because the yeah, Jewish people are I, great people. I have a lot of Jewish friends, and I've had Manny Zippel, who's a rabbi he's a, in, here in Salt Lake. He's a friend of mine, and he's an Italian Jew. Can you wow. believe that? Hey, that's really good, Salvatore. That's really appreciate Jewish, the call, man. God bless you. You answered my question, please, or not, and I did listen to you. Okay, good. Hey, thanks. Thanks for the call. Hey, you baptized me last summer, remember? Do you remember of me? Of course. Salvatore, uh, I won't give you my last name, but it can okay. be All right, God bless you, my friend. Okay, God bless you, thanks. and thanks uh, for taking my call. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Speaking of Jews, uh, the LDS, I've heard a rumor that they just don't feel they're doing enough in their, uh, in their temple work now. So they're going to institute a uh, circumcision for the dead ordinance. And uh, that was a joke. <laughs> Not going tonight. Not working at all. All right, some other emails. Sheldon from Australia is 16 years old, and he just says that for the past few years, he's had a lot of religious religion pushed down his throat, 
and he's really grateful for the show. I just wanted to say, Sheldon, thanks so much for watching out there in Australia. Robert Gorman says, you are not Christ-like. All you do is bash us and laugh as you do it. You know, we beat the government and guys like you after you, we were chased out of Missouri. You guys chased us out of Utah and we fought back. And guess what? We won. Heavenly Father also saved our crops from locusts and seagulls. I will pray for you. Poor Robert, you are so misled, my friend. I hope you will study that story about the locusts and the seagulls and see kind of really what happened there. But, uh, you know, I, I do, uh, I don't, I do bash a little bit sometimes, but Latter-day Saints bash too, and you guys started the fight by saying all Christian religions were wrong, so I just come back after you. Um, uh, no other call there. Jamie D., here's something I wanted to pass along, but I forgot. The late elder Bruce R. McConkie called the RLDS and the polygamous fundamentalist cults, uh, cults in his Mormon doctrine book. Yet Mormons object when the Mormon church is called a cult by others. One would think that the Mormons would have no uh, right to object at their religion being called a cult when they are calling schisms that aren't like themselves cults. Just passing that along. Thank you, uh, Jamie, very good point. Um, Mark from Hanover, Germany says, when Mormons call your show to complain, that you don't do any good by telling the truth about Mormonism, tell them to stop watching and go do their home teaching so that they will start doing something for others instead of wasting their time using to help people to get to know the Lord. I don't think Mark in Hanover, no, I'm, I won't say that. He, I didn't understand that at all. I'm sorry. I'm a little disheveled tonight. Uh, we have Stephen from Australia calling. Uh, let's take it. Stephen, we've only got a minute, my friend. Go for it. Stephen? Never used in the first 300 years, 350 years during the time that the church was trying to decide what books go in the canon. I'm sorry there's such a long lag in the phone, uh, by the way, so I won't be able to hear you maybe if you respond. But anyway, I just wanted to point out the Mormons who think, a highly, think very highly of uh, the first Christians never appealed to James 1.5 to determine what books were written of God, written by God, and therefore belong in his canon. Wow. It's important to know that this is totally new on the part of the Mormons. Wait, um, so, wait, wait a minute. So it's an illegitimate use of scripture, and that's St worth pointing out, I feel like. Stephen, can you hear me? All right. Hey, there's a, there's a bad phone lag. Okay, so, man. Thanks yeah. for that information. We're out of time. God bless you, my friend. I will have to check that out, James 1.5, that if any of you lack wisdom, let of us, so God who, see it, who giveth to all men liber, liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Stephen in Australia says, that wasn't in the, the manuscripts the first 100, uh, 350 years. I'd have to check that out and see what he's talking about. Anyway, God bless you guys. Next week we're coming back, and we're in the ease of the alphabet, and it's Elijah and John the Baptist, one and the same. We'll talk to you then. Good job, everybody. You are a fine I'm audience. Break. I'm gonna break my, I'm gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna.
gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break. I'm gonna break my. Gonna break my rusty cage.